The Blunt Post with Vic. Good Monday morning, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. Uh, I am your host, Vic Jarami, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a show that covers breaking and headline news, national headlines, analysis, commentary, and I interview high-profile public figures. After a busy weekend of news and developments, we start uh, yet another week when we get to live one day at a time uh, with a great amount of uncertainty and anxiety. A lot happened over the weekend and um, around the globe, developing stories um, constantly coming in about COVID-19, commonly known as the coronavirus. After the headlines, uh, you're going to hear my interview with the great Congressman Adam Schiff um, about uh, this crisis and uh, what he and Congress are doing, um, and a uh, lot more than that. So that's after some headlines and news. But let's start with some uh, updates about COVID-19. So these are, um, as of now, of course, they change um, minute by minute. But according to the Johns Hopkins University, um, the global deaths from the virus have surpassed 30,000, and more than 10,000 of those were in Italy or have been in Italy. The U.S. um, Centers for Disease Control um, issued a travel advisory over the weekend urging people in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut to refrain from non-essential domestic travel for the next few weeks. Um, Spain uh, reported its highest increase in coronavirus deaths Sunday, but um, there was also a drop in infection rates in Spain. Treasury Secretary Stephen uh, Muchin says uh, Americans can expect uh, stimulus checks to be direct deposited in the next three weeks. The SBA is working very closely with the Treasury. We expect to have a program up on Friday that will be up and running. You know, it's good news that that's happening, but uh, for a lot of Americans, it it could be quicker. Um, People need help now. But uh, apparently to the secretary, uh, it will be in the next three weeks a direct deposit. Uh, So uh, more U.S. news. So yesterday, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the head of the National Institute for Allergy and uh, Infectious Diseases, uh, he predicted that about 100,000 to 200,000 Americans uh, could die in the U.S. from this virus, and millions uh, more can be infected. Let's listen to Dr. Fauci right now. I mean, looking at what we're seeing now, you know, I would say between 100 and 200,000 cases, but I don't want to be held to that because it's, it's, it's excuse me, deaths. I mean, we're, we're going to have millions of cases, but I, I just don't think that we really need to make a projection when it's such a moving target. That was a grim prediction that came from um, Anthony Fauci. In terms of numbers in the U.S., we've had 132,485 confirmed cases and 2,348 deaths from coronavirus. Uh, The top 10 states in terms of infections uh, are in this order as of now. It's New York, uh, number one, then New Jersey, California, Michigan, Washington, Massachusetts, Florida, 
Louisiana, Illinois, and Pennsylvania. So those are some of the statistics that are um, that we have most updated uh, according to uh, the Johns Hopkins University. So now I just want to go over some of, uh, you know, j- just to kind of cover the absurdity of the lack of leadership in D.C. and how uh, Trump is scrambling to do damage control uh, as well as um, sort of uh, rewrite history as it's happening. Uh, so I want to go over uh, Trump's most mis- misleading COVID-19 claims that he's made. Okay, so this is this is from a president that, uh, according to one count, has uttered more than 16,000 uh, misleading and false claims during his uh, first three years in office. Um, and uh, certainly this, this uh, virus has added to that total. Uh, so here are some of the m- uh, most misleading and uh, often repeated claims about COVID-19 from his administration and its response to the outbreak and uh, what lies ahead. Uh, so the first one is, and I quote President Trump, he says, I would view it as something that just sur- uh, surprised the world. All right, so let's listen. Uh, this was something that happened that uh, was, uh, some people would say, an act of God. I don't view it as an act of God. I would view it as, uh, as uh, something that just surprised the whole world. So Trump has repeatedly expressed his surprise uh, at the scale of the coronavirus as it spread around the ro- world and uh, raced across the U.S. Okay, well, there's evidence, however, that not only was the Trump administration warned about the potential of a pandemic and its dangers in dangers in Americans, uh, it was given a plan on how to deal with it, which it promptly shelved. Um, during the pre- President Obama's administration, the National Security Council drew, uh, drew up a 69-page playbook on fighting pandemics. And this is according to Politico, actually. The document crafted in the wake of the 2016 Ebola outbreak uh, contained advice on tracking the spread of a new virus, how to ensure testing was conducted effectively, and the need to stockpile emergency resources. The incoming Trump administration was briefed on the playbook, uh, but it was thrown onto the shelf, according to an anonymous official quoted by Politico. This wasn't the administration's only insight into the threat uh, posed by a pandemic. Uh, In October, this past October, an internal federal government report warned how underprepared and underfunded the U.S. would be in terms of tackling a virus without a cure. So that's just one myth or lie that we to cover. Um, So the second one, and I quote Trump again, he says, uh, it's going to disappear. One day, it's like a miracle. It will disappear, end quote. Okay, I'll just let you listen and be the judge. It's going to disappear. One day, it's like a miracle. It will disappear. And from our shores, we've, you know, it could get worse before it gets better. It could maybe go away. We'll see what happens. Nobody really knows. This position has been repeatedly contradicted by public health experts uh, who predicted the sharp increase in COVID-19 infections, blunted only by social distancing measures and the shutdown of large gatherings. 
Um, even in China, which instituted the most severe crackdown on the movement of people, it has taken several months for cases to start tapering off. And I'm about to quote Dr. Uh, Anthony Fauci. He says, um, you've got to be realistic and you've got to understand that you don't make the timeline. The virus makes the timeline. Um, this is, again, according to Dr. Uh, Anthony Fauci, who's the director of the Institute, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, um, who said recently. Number three, uh, anybody that needs a test gets a test. They're there. They have the tests, and the tests are beautiful. That was another quote from Trump. Let's take a listen. Anybody that needs a test gets a test. We, they're there. They have the tests, and the tests are beautiful. <laughs> this is, uh, of course, without basis. Uh, Trump has claimed the U.S. has done an excellent job in testing people for the coronavirus. Uh, as early as January, he said the situation was totally under control. Um, and just six weeks later, the U.S. had emerged as the new global center of the epidemic. Um, in reality, um, healthcare providers faced a severe shortage of testing kits as coronavirus hit the U.S., with the situation exasperated by faults in the, in the testing system and restrictions on who could actually take a test. A big disparity opened up whereby richer, famous people were able to get the test, but others struggled to do so. Mike Pence, the vice president, has admitted, we don't have enough tests today to meet what we anticipate will be the demand. Dr. Fauci told the congressional hearing uh, the U.S. system was not really geared to what we need right now regarding the test kits, he added. This is failing. Let's admit it. At least uh, Mr. Fauci is honest, unlike uh, our president. Quote number four from uh, President Trump. I've always known this is a real, this is a pandemic. I felt it was a pandemic long before it was called a pandemic. I've always viewed it as very serious. Well, listen for yourself. I didn't feel different. I've always known this is a, this is a real this is a pandemic. I felt it was a pandemic long before it was called a pandemic. All you had to do is look at other countries. I think now it's in almost 120 countries all over the world. Uh, no, I've always viewed it as very serious. There was no difference yesterday from days before. I feel the tone is similar, but uh, some people said it wasn't. Well, as in the case with many of Trump's statements, his claim that he has always taken the pandemic seriously uh, deviates wildly from his previous comments. Perhaps most infamously, Trump said, I don't take responsibility at all when asked about the faltering U.S. response. Uh, the president has repeatedly downplayed the threat posed by COVID-19, uh, criticizing concern over the crisis as a hoax, fretting that letting uh, infected Americans off a cruise ship would increase the number of confirmed cases and claiming that only a couple of Americans had it as cases began to soar across the country. Uh, he has compounded this by suggesting social distancing restrictions be lifted around Easter, something very random, a timeline uh, that's widely out of uh, kilter with public health experts who warn this would cause hospitals to overflow with sick and dying patients. Uh, very irresponsible. And uh, fifth and last one, last quote from uh, Trump. Americans will have access to vaccines 
I think, uh, relatively soon. So let's listen to this for a minute. Uh, in a White House meeting with the pharmaceutical company bosses and public health officials, Trump suggested a vaccine for COVID-19 will be available over the next few months. He was contradicted by Alex Azar, the Health and Human Services Secretary, who pointed out, you don't have a vaccine. You'll have a vaccine to go into testing. Uh, Dr. Fauci, again, and others at the meeting confirmed that clinical trials, uh, standard for any new vaccine, would have to take place first. A vaccine is more likely to be a year or 18 months away. That's a long time. Uh, despite being told this, Trump told a rally in North Carolina on March 2nd that there will be a vaccine relatively soon. So there you have it. Uh, five of the many lies and uh, distortions and spins by our president, who is very good at doing that, trying to lay blame and to spin and to um, make himself, um, at least make himself look uh, as if he's doing something or he has been doing something. So we're just so used to it. You know, there's just this lack of leadership, certainly um, honest leadership. So uh, that brings me to uh, my let's get blunt portion. The Blunt Post with Vic. That's just be honest, I've been thinking about this for a long time, and finally it occurred to me that um, in absence of a real president who is the commander-of-chief of our country and uh, governs the country, others have, other leaders have stepped up and taken that role uh, to you know, the best that they could. And it occurs to me that uh, Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi and Congressman Adam Schiff have become our de facto foster parents. You know, they've had to step into that role and really do the best that they can to lead us and to be their reasonable voice. Uh, so I kind of see them as our de facto foster parents. Thank goodness for um, Congresswoman Pelosi and Congressman Adam Schiff. And then we have other uh, great uh, cousins, I should say, uh, who have also stepped up and become our adopted us as their cousins um, in a way and sort of stepped up if if we're using that analogy or metaphor of a foster family. You know, we are so lucky to have uh, Governor uh, Gavin Newsom and his leadership. California has been really at the forefront of innovation and trailblazing with uh, how we deal and how we dealt with COVID-19 last couple of months. Uh, and Governor Newsom has uh, definitely exemplified that, uh, as well as uh, Senator uh, Kamala Harris. Very lucky to have her uh, on our side. Uh, of course, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, whom I interviewed last week on the show, um, has been really fighting at the front lines to make sure that Americans are safe and protected and healthy and get all the resources they can, uh, as well as uh, Congresswoman Judy Chu, who, who too I interviewed uh, on this show. She's been uh, at the forefront of this, um, of this uh, pandemic and uh, trying to 
get not just her constituents, but just the entire country information that we need and uh, all the tools that we need to stay safe and and uh, take care of uh, our family and friends and everyone else, uh, as well as Congressman Ted Lieu, um, another great uh, California congressman who has been very outspoken uh, about what is not happening in D.C. and what should be happening, and has stepped up and uh, done great things for the state. And of course, those of us in L.A., we have watched uh, Mayor Eric Garcetti um, be a great leader and really proactively doing things to uh, make sure that Angelinos are safe and Angelinos are, have the resources and information uh, that we need as we fight this together. So, you know, there you have it. There's my uh, Let's Get Blunt segment that uh, I do see Congresswoman uh, Nancy Pelosi and Congressman Adam Schiff as our de facto foster parents. Next, I'm really happy to um, to bring you an interview with um, Congressman Adam Schiff. Um, a lot of us know uh, Congressman Schiff very well. At the very least, I've heard about him, uh, of course, especially recently. Um, but just to give you an intro, um, uh, in his 10th term in the House of Representatives, uh, Congressman Schiff represents the uh, 28th District of California. He is currently, uh, or he currently serves as the chair of the House uh, Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. He's a vice chair of the Congressional LGBTQIA Equality Caucus. Congressman Schiff is an original co-sponsor of the Bipar- Bipartisan uh, Equality Act, which would provide comprehensive federal non-discrimination protections for LGBTQIA individuals in employment, housing, credit, education, public spaces, and services, uh, federally funded programs, um, and jury service. Congressman Schiff uh, adamantly opposes the Department of Defense's decision to ban transgender Americans from serving in the United States military. He is a supporter of Every Child Deserves a Family Act, which would provide equal treatment for LGBTQIA couples who hope to adopt a foster child. Congressman Schiff has also been a leader on human rights uh, and a forceful advocate of the recognition of the Armenian genocide. uh, between 1915 and 1921, of course, uh, introducing resolutions and giving numerous floor speeches on the matter, including one delivered uh, in Armenian and another addressed directly to the Turkish people. In October 2019, the House decidedly voted to recognize the Armenian genocide, uh, passing uh, Congressman Schiff's resolution with uh, strong bipartisan support. Um, The Senate followed suit in December 2019, also with overwhelming bipartisan consensus. Um, Actually, the Senate um, passed it unanimously. In doing so, uh, Congress declared that it will no longer be party to the cause of genocide denial. Uh, This is a vote uh, that Congressman Schiff fought for uh, 19 years to make possible and one that uh, tens of thousands of Armenian-American constituents and many around the country have worked, struggled, and prayed for decades to see. As chairman of the Intelligence Committee, uh, Congressman Schiff was one of the lead investigators in the impeachment inquiry against Donald Trump, stemming from the Trump-Ukraine scandal. 
Trump was impeached in the House of Representatives on December 18, 2019, making him only the third American president to be impeached. Um, Congressman Schiff's district uh, is very vast in Los Angeles. Um, it includes um, neighborhoods such as local Burbank, East Hollywood, Glendale, Hollywood, Hollywood Hills, and uh, Los Feliz, uh, Pasadena, as well as West Hollywood. And um, before uh, we go to the interview, I had the great honor of walking with Congressman Schiff last year uh, at LA Pride. And uh, I can't be more proud that he is uh, my congressman. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's have a listen. Thank you so much for being here, especially considering um, what's happening. And I can only imagine a fraction of what you are going through and all the weight that's on, on your shoulders. Well, it's great to be with you. It's uh, enormously trying time for all Americans, but we'll get through it. And I think the steps that we take now will determine uh, how long it takes to get through it and how uh, devastating it is. Um, but uh, if we all take the steps that are recommended by the CDC and we minimize the uh, risks that we put to our families and our seniors, uh, then uh, we can get through this with a um, hopefully a minimum of uh, loss of life, and that's what we have to aim for. Um, but we're working hard to make sure that we provide all the funding that's necessary to uh, ramp up production of testing, of protective gear for our frontline healthcare workers, uh, ventilators, uh, but also that we uh, get urgent economic relief out to workers, to small businesses, to those that uh, have been laid off, uh, that need to go on unemployment, uh, and we're in the process now of reviewing what's come out of the Senate. Absolutely. That was a lot of great information for all of us. Um, I know that there are so many people looking up to you for, um, for hope, for answers, and for inspiration, and you certainly have been that for us. And um, before I ask you any specific questions, I just wanted to share with you, I, I've been thinking about you a lot because I thought, you know, Congressman Schiff has had not just the weight of this country on his shoulders, but the world for at least over a year and um, uh, with the impeachment and then following that, um, now this. And uh, I just can't fathom how tired you must be. So we, um, we really appreciate and are grateful for you. Thank you very much. Um, I'm fortunate to have wonderful constituents that support the work that I do and great colleagues to work with. Uh, it has been, I think, a trying time for the whole country uh, the last uh, two or three years, but nothing uh, compared to the last two or three weeks. Uh, and, you know, I have every confidence that we'll get through this. Uh, we need to get through it, though, by relying on uh, the best of science, uh, the best in each other. Um, and I'm concerned at the moment uh, when I hear the president uh, talk about relaxing some of the social distancing protections that we're putting in place uh, because he'd like to be business as usual uh, for Easter. Well, we'd love to have business as usual for Easter, but the problem is we have not seen yet the end of this curve, and the curve is accelerating. Uh, we still have a paucity of tests out there, so we don't know how widespread the virus is. This is not the time to let up in the protections that we're putting in place. It's the time to frankly, uh, double down on uh, the social distancing and efforts to 
control the spread of the virus so that we don't inundate our healthcare system, so that we can uh, ramp up production of protective gear and ventilators. Uh, and we need to be guided by the science and the facts and the health experts, not by wishful thinking, uh, which is very dangerous, uh, I think, for the country. Certainly, Congressman. Um, I want to ask you, uh, beyond what we know from the CDC and our numbers, you know, obviously everything sort of changes on, on an hourly basis. From your perspective, from where you are, how do you assess the situation today? Well, I think that we are still uh, at the point along the curve of this pandemic in the United States where the number of cases are fast escalating. A part of that is due to the fact that we are doing increasing testing, and so we're finding out about more people. But part is also due to more people are getting the virus, uh, and we won't have good enough data for some time to know whether our efforts are sufficient to flatten the curve, to spread out the uh, rate of the contagion, frankly, uh, so that our healthcare system can sustain the treatments that are necessary. Uh, it's going to take some time, and, and we lost tragic weeks uh, as the administration dawdled, and indeed it, it still is dawdling when it comes to mobilizing industry using the Defense Production Act to require industry to produce the ventilators, the masks, the uh, gowns, and everything else that uh, our healthcare. Uh, workers need uh, to provide uh, top uh, medical treatment. Uh, so uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, it's nothing that the country can't rise to the challenge of, uh, but uh, we, need, we need consistency. So we can't uh, have leadership that says, oh, this is not a problem. It's going to go away. We have very few cases here. Don't worry. One day and the next, okay, we're at war. I'm a wartime president. And then the day after, after Watching Fox, um, the the cure can't be worse than the disease, and I want things to go back to the way they were by Easter. Uh, you know, we need to be guided, uh, as I mentioned, by the science, by the facts. We need consistency in terms of our leadership. Uh, we need economic uh, help right now, which is why this uh, package that we're working on in Congress is so important, uh, so that people can get a roof over their head or keep a roof over their head that can provide for their family, those that have put their whole life savings and work and effort into a small business can keep that business afloat, even if uh, hunkered down until uh, this, the worst of this is over, uh, that we look out for the workforce uh, and each other. And we have the resources to do it. Um, you know, this is a $2 trillion package that we're working on right now. That seems like a lot. It is a lot. At the same time, uh, you know, tragically, uh, the president and the GOP leadership uh, pushed through a $2 trillion tax cut um, a couple years ago that the nation could ill afford. And uh, that's $2 trillion we right. all wish that we had right now to devote to this effort. But uh, we're going to do our very best to uh, help uh, individuals and small businesses get through this economically, uh, even as we make sure that people get the tests that they need uh, and the health care that they need. This is Vic Drami, and you're listening to The Blunt Post with Vic and my interview with Congressman Adam Schiff. Wonderful. I was going to ask you about that, about the, the deal that was struck yesterday um, by the Senate. I was, very, um, I was very happy that Democratic leadership took a stand against uh, the previous discussions um, of giving corporate America and billionaires, um, basically bailing them out again. I wanted to ask you about 
what you think of what happened yesterday in this deal, and is it enough uh, for working Americans and and those that are you know making ends meet? You know, I'm still studying the package. Uh, we're just uh, learning of the uh, details in it now, and there's a lot uh, that we still need to go through. I think it makes some very important investments uh, in individuals. It, it puts a lot of money into unemployment compensation. The unemployment rolls are going to be probably uh, as high or higher than we've ever seen before, going back to the Great Depression. Uh, and the bill provides, I think, for four months of unemployment compensation, uh, which is a dramatic expansion, and we're going to need it. Um, it also provides uh, about half a trillion dollars to small businesses to help them pay their utilities and their rent to, to help them retain their workforce. Uh, and it has uh, what the administration wanted, which is uh, $500 billion for large industry. Um, but there are a lot of requirements that, that have been attached to that that were not a part of the original GOP plan. Uh, when Mitch McConnell put forward that plan, basically there was no oversight in it. And when the president was asked about it, he said, I will be the oversight. Well, of course, that's absurd, and there's no way we were going to trust him or, frankly, anyone else with half a trillion dollars uh, of a slush fund to do it as they as they choose. So there have now been a number of protections put in that that uh, prohibit um, stock buybacks and changes to executive compensation that create an inspector general's office to oversee the fund, a congressional bipartisan congressional panel uh, likewise to provide oversight. Um, and, you know, I'd like to see that funding conditioned on uh, companies that are willing to avoid layoffs, uh, and, you know, frankly, what I've been advocating, and there are pieces of this in the package, but I like the simplicity of what the British are doing, which is uh, I've been pushing for a package that says if you um, retain your workforce, if you, uh, you may have to furlough people, but if you retain your workforce, then uh, the federal government will essentially uh, guarantee uh, 80 or 90 percent of uh, their wages. Uh, so, People remain on the payroll. They remain employed, even if they have to stay home and even if they can't perform much work at home. Uh, some can and some can't, depending on the nature of the job. But uh, retaining your job is important, even if you're furloughed. Um, it's important now, I think, to people's well-being, but it's also important uh, to how fast we recover from this uh, if people don't have to go back into the job market and look for a job because they already have their job. Um, so... Uh, there's some features of that incorporated into uh, the legislation for small business and for industry, uh, but uh, I would have liked to have seen us focus more on that approach rather than uh, a more patchwork approach. But nonetheless, um, there are a lot of uh, very important resources going out to individuals, small businesses, uh, workers that are part of large businesses um, that we hope will tide families over until we get on the other side of this uh, pandemic. Thank you, Congressman. I've been saying, and I so many people agree with me on this, is uh, because we're all on the same page, is how lucky we are in California, those of us that live in this state, to have leadership such as yourself, uh, Governor Newsom, um, Senator Harris, Congresswoman Pelosi, and uh, Maxine Waters, and Ted Lieu, and there are so many, Judy Chu. Uh, we feel safer and we feel like our democratic leadership really has our back, as well as uh, Mary Garcetti, of course, in L.A. So I want to thank you for that. I want to change topics just briefly, if I may, because I would be remiss if I didn't. Um, 
You know, I'm Armenian-American, and I have watched you, like so many, for 19 years crusade to bring recognition to the Armenian genocide, something that so, has been so near and dear to us. And we saw how you fought for that, and we saw your speech on the House floor and how, you, how emotionally you got. So I, of course, it, it, this is probably a redundant question, but how did that feel to finally see this happen after 19 years of your hard work? Well, I can't begin to tell you uh, how gratifying it was uh, to finally uh, achieve passage of the Armenian Genocide Resolution in the House and in the Senate. Um, as you say, it's something I've been working on for 19 years uh, in the Congress and even further than that as a state legislator. And so many in the Armenian community have been fighting for and praying for and working for for decades. Um, you know, we uh, we took that up uh, in the uh, during the impeachment hearings and trial, uh, prior to the trial, but uh, after the hearings, uh, and because of the intensity of everything go- going on in Congress, it was hard to be able to step aside and truly appreciate the magnitude of that achievement to put the United States uh, on record uh, now um, squarely in favor of uh, broad recognition of the facts of the Armenian genocide. Um, I had always hoped that we might be able to achieve this while there were still some survivors among us, and I think we we barely succeeded in that score. Um, But uh, I know how much it means to the diaspora uh, that was the most directly impacted, and uh, and I'm just grateful uh, for all of their efforts uh, for many years for never giving up um, and uh, and there's more work to be done, obviously, on this issue um, in terms of restitution, but uh, it all begins with recognition, uh, and I'm just so uh, delighted and grateful that we were able to get that done finally this year. Uh, yes, sir. That was um, an incredible um, moment in history, and yes, you're right. I wish we could have paused for a minute and really celebrated it. So maybe for like 20 seconds, I'll tell you something a little, maybe a little amusing. So I just told you how lucky I feel to be in California and to be in L.A. and to be among the leadership uh, that we have. And as a gay Armenian American to live in your district. You can only imagine how much I brag about that, (laughs) that I get to be in the district of Congressman Adam Schiff. And we're grateful. Of course, the LGBTQ community sees you as a hero as well, just as much as the Armenian American community. You know, you've been an inspiration. We've looked up to you. And, um, you know, this is why I wanted to talk to you during this crisis, because what you say has so much more weight than uh, I don't know who else, uh, anyone I can think of, uh, in terms of someone who really has the best interest of the American people to to let us know what is happening. And I want to transition and just say, what haven't I asked you? What would you like to convey to not just your constituents, but all Americans? What should we know and do that we're not doing? Well, thank you for the the comments uh, and for the question. And, uh, you know, while we're on the subject of the LGBTQ community, Mm -hmm. um, let me just mention I've been on the phone uh, with my constituents and community leaders uh, extensively during the course of this crisis. I've uh, talked with many, for example, of the city council uh, in West Hollywood. Um, West Hollywood um, is being severely impacted by the coronavirus. Uh, When you look at the distribution 
of positive tests within L.A. County. There's a very strong uh, epicenter uh, in West Hollywood, uh, other areas too. Beverly Hills has a very high uh, degree, uh, Brentwood or Westwood rather, uh, as well. Um, and, well, some of that may be a disparity in the amount of testing that's going on. Uh, I think in the case of West Hollywood, my understanding is that a lot of it is due to the density um, of the residential area uh, in West Hollywood. And so uh, people in particularly dense uh, environments uh, where people are living close together um, are at greater risk of, uh, of the spread of the virus and contracting the virus. Uh, so uh, it'll be even more important to observe all the uh, precautions and protections recommended by the CDC in terms of uh, trying to maintain social distance and washing hands frequently uh, and all of the other uh, urgent uh, requirements. Um, but I guess more broadly what I would say to the community in, in the country is um, I know this is an incredibly anxious time for people. It's anxious in terms of their health. Uh, people wonder, do I have the virus? Do I not? Uh, and I'm not, not talking about me personally, but I think everyone, uh, wh- whenever they have a cough or a sneeze, um, tends to worry now that maybe they're coming down with the virus, so it's a very anxious time. Uh, also, economically very anxious. You know, people are losing their jobs or at risk of losing their businesses they built up over a lifetime. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this, and we will emerge on the other side. We're an incredibly resilient country. Uh, so uh, we've been through worse challenges uh, in our nation's history, um, more dangerous, more deadly times than, than what we're going through today. So this too shall pass. Uh, but what we do right now can make a big difference in how quickly it passes and how much suffering uh, goes along with it. And so um, let's uh, listen to uh, trusted sources of information like the CDC, like LA County Health. Uh, let's uh, take care of ourselves and those that we love, and sometimes they'll have to be at a distance. Um, but let's also maintain the optimism and the conviction that we're going to get through this, and, uh, and we will. We surely will. Fantastic. Um, Congressman Adam Schiff, I don't want to take any more of your time. I know you're extremely busy, so I I just want to thank you uh, and tell you how grateful I am for this. And um, good luck to you and to all of us, and thank you again. Thank you. Great to be with you. You take care. You too. Bye. Well, that was the incomparable extraordinary and heroic uh, Congressman Schiff, uh, a man who exemplifies leadership and service uh, and has inspired um, our great nation uh, with the way he's conducted himself and uh, led us, um, especially in the last few years. So uh, thank you, Congressman Schiff. The Blunt Post with Vic. Post with Vic. So I I like to uh, highlight uh, an organization on every show, either a nonprofit, a charity, 
community organization, or it could be an individual as well, just to show people who give back, organizations that give back um, and do great work in the community. And of course, um, with COVID-19, uh, one of the you know, one of the important things that we have to look at is um, people who are elderly and or um, disabled and how they have access in this time to the necessities, uh, medicine, food, and other things that they, they have to rely on. And so it's apropos that I highlight an organization that brings food to people who can't leave and leave their home, I should say, and that need it most. Um, that organization is Meals on Wheels America. Um, so vulnerable seniors are at the greatest risk amid COVID-19. Uh, local Meals on Wheels programs are on the front lines every day, focused on doing all that they can to keep elder Americans safe and nourished in communities across the country. A lot of them are on Social Security, and I know the rent eats up most of that check, so... You know, we can't totally feed them. We can't give them three hot meals a day, but we can subsidize with other food that they may have. So at least we know they're getting one good square meal a day. And it's good food. It's not cuisine, but it's good, good wholesome food. And Sister's always saying the needy should get the best, not the seconds, not the leftovers, not the out-of-date stuff. A lot of the places I used to, I used to deliver for like the first 20 years, I went out every day delivering. And it really, and now it's hard. I can't really physically go out so much, but I, I write to the clients, and that's why I like to write to them on their birthdays and, and send out fly, you know, prayers and things and keep them up. On um, Guardian Angel Day, I send them all a Guardian Angel prayer and a little magnet or a pin of the Guardian Angels. And Christmas, they always get a Christmas ornament with angels. And so that's what this program is. It's, we hope to be angels. I think it takes any person who just sees it for what it is and just comes up with whatever it takes to do it. And then there's the unsung heroes in that place. I mean, the cooks, they kill themselves in there from four in the morning until one or two in the afternoon and they never see anybody. Nobody ever sees them, you know, and they're, they're working their hearts out. Uh, the costs and efforts needed to protect seniors from COVID-19 require additional emergency funds. And that's uh, why um, they're asking federal lawmakers, corporations, foundations, and the general public to remember these um, vulnerable seniors in our national response. So if, um, if you'd like to help an organization, a very worthy cause and a reputable one, you can uh, make a donation on their website. And their website is mealsonwheelsamerica.org. And again, that's mealsonwheelsamerica.org for Meals on Wheels America. Next, I want a quote of the day. Uh, normally, I'll say a quote or a slogan. Um, and for today, I couldn't decide between two very applicable quotes that I found um, uh, as to what's, you know, in, in terms of what's going on. And the first one is by um, uh, Frank Sonnenberg, and it says, A bad leader lacks talent and skill. A destructive leader lacks character. 
I think you can guess who I'm thinking about when um, repeating that quote by uh, Mr. Frank Sonnenberg. And uh, the second one is by Theodore uh, Hesburgh, and it says, the very essence of leadership is that you have to have a vision. You can't blow an uncertain trumpet. Uh, again, I think you know um, who comes to mind when um, I read that quote from Theodore Hesburgh, and I'll repeat it again. The very essence of leadership is that you have to have vision. You can't blow an uncertain trumpet. The Blunt Post with Vic. Before we go, I um, hope you enjoyed um, today's show and my interview with uh, Congressman Schiff. Um, I also want to thank uh, my producer, Ricky Herrera. Uh, thank you for joining me. I'm Vic Jarami um, on this episode of The Blunt Post with Vic. Tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. Uh, for another episode. For more information, uh, please visit thebluntpost.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter, uh, both of them at Vic Jarami. Again, at Vic Jarami, V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Have a safe, healthy, and successful week until next Monday. The Blunt Post with Vic. When you're standing on the edge of nowhere There's only one way up so your heart's gotta go there and Through the darkest nights You see the light shine bright When heroes fall in love or war They live forever This is a song for the lonely Can you hear me tonight? For the broken-hearted man
no more. 